1: Is Pop Psych 101.
2: Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here as always with my co-host, executive producer, and little monster, Mike Graham.
0: You know, I actually used to love the movie Little Monsters with Howie Mandel. I don't know if you ever saw that in Fred Savage. I can't
2: say that I'm familiar with that particular little monster, Mike. I was referring to you as a Lady Gaga super fan.
0: I don't I don't know the reference. So I went to the reference that I know, oh, which is I'm, howie I'm so Mandel disappointed in you. And Fred Savage. I, honestly
2: Mike, I don't believe you. I I don't believe for a second that you don't know that Lady Gaga's superfans are referred to as Little Monsters.
0: It's an old 90s movie where howie met Mandel-
2: <laughs> All right. All right, I'll say it. no, I really didn't know that though. All right. Well, I'm I'm here to educate you and you're going to learn a lot about Lady Gaga in this episode, I imagine.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I did learn a lot about Allie, at least. Yeah, so
2: uh, we buried the lead. Today we're talking about A Star is Born, starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. But before we get into that, Mike, I don't think the listeners know about your own personal
0: uh, music experience. You are a musician. And I would like to keep it that way, so we can continue on and let's go into the episode
2: so mike's a musician and <laughs> he hasn't told me about much about his 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 music career but i'm i'm willing to share about mine and that's to say i don't have one except for the fact that i occasionally sing terrible songs on stage as part of my improv troupe
0: he actually has i've seen it ryan and i'm not going to give it completely away i've seen he has a youtube like a whole bunch of YouTube videos, his improv troupe. I'm not going to give you the name so you oh, won't no. find oh, no. it.
2: Mike, you see, I, I'm I'm unembarrassed by my music career. By all means, YouTube Death by Improv, Um, our, our episodes have been scrubbed from time to time, but there absolutely is uh, evidence of me singing on stage. So, Mike, now that I've exposed my own musical career uh, to our audience,
1: <laughs> please amazing.
2: tell us a little <laughs> bit about your own. Give us something. What were, were uh, you a were you a pop star? Were you a, a grunge guitarist, uh, lead singer, uh, drummer? You don't uh, want to tell okay. us anything.
0: Well, you know, I just put it. I just put it behind me. But okay, okay, all right, all right, all right. Okay, so I as I mean, little I up, oh,
2: oh, as little as you're comfortable with.
0: Well, okay, so just a like quick synopsis. I I was in a, like a band. I started when I was 13. Uh, and then I stopped playing when I was about 28. So I played for a long, long time. Uh, I was a bass player in most of the bands, uh, but I played guitar and drums as well. Um, never did anything big, nothing, su- uh, nothing successful, but I loved it the whole time. And it was one of my main creative outlets for a very long time. But, you know, as you get older, you have to kind of give up on things when, <laughs> wow. when it's a never working, <laughs> well, um, yeah, I don't want to be sad. That's what no, I'm saying. No, that's it's one okay. of those like sort of, it's not painful, but it's like,
2: you know, it's like a long lost love. I hear you. Well, well, listen, you know, this, th- this feeling that you're expressing right now, I think connects very well to the movie we're talking about today. And I imagine you have some feelings about that as well. So why don't we oh, just yeah. go ahead and get into the episode?
0: All right, let's do it.
2: And the Grammy goes to Let's see, we got here. Shallow
1: Lady Gaga and Bradley Coach. Thank you. Thank you so much. I gotta thank God. Thank you for looking out for me. Thank you for my family. At home, I love you. Thank you. I wish Bradley was here with me right now. He's at the BAFTAs over in the UK. I know he wants to be here. Bradley, I loved singing this song with you. And I, if I don't get another chance to say this, I just wanna say I'm so proud to be a part of a movie that addresses mental health issues. They're so important. And a lot of artists, a lot of artists deal with that. And we gotta take care of each other. So if you see somebody that's hurting, don't look away. And if you're hurting, even though it might be hard, try to find that bravery within yourself to dive deep and go tell somebody and take them up in your head with you. I love you, thank you so much to the Grammys. thank you.
0: Today, we are covering the 2018 film, A Star is Born, starring Lady Gaga as Ally and Bradley Cooper as Jackson Maine. Jackson Maine is a famous musician who drinks. Those are the two things he knows about himself. Until he meets Ali, an undiscovered talent who he falls for almost instantly. Her voice and soul speak to him and take up part of the void he has been filling with drugs and alcohol. Most of his adult life, his older brother has been picking him up when he falls down, and now it's Allie's turn. When her career takes off, his void seems to grow deeper, and Jack drinks himself to the bottom of the bottle. After a stint in rehab, it looks like it's possible that he could finally find some peace with himself and love Allie with no barriers. Tragically, Jack, in a vulnerable state, is led to believe that he is a burden to Allie and he should get out of her life. He's never not had someone to pick him up when he's down, and he makes the ultimate decision. The gut-wrenching irony is that in the aftermath of Jack's death, Allie is left to pick up the pieces.
2: So with that, today, as Mike just synopsized, synopsized? As Mike just summarized, we are talking about A Star is Born. This is a movie of the moment, Mike. Um, That's right. Lady Gaga just accepted her uh, Grammy for Best Pop Duo, I believe it was, and talked about the need for more uh, movies and probably shows in general to be sort of addressing mental health. And we definitely have a movie here where mental health is not a main character necessarily, but a a sort of like background, ever-present character.
0: I I agree. And I do want to clarify that Ryan and I had decided to do this movie at least a month ago. So this definitely isn't just like jumping on the let's do this right now sort of thing. This was, we knew we were going to do it, but we were kind of waiting for the DVD to come out so that everyone had the chance to watch it along with us. And so if you're listening to this, the DVD actually is coming out Uh, If you're watching this the day that we release this episode, it comes out tomorrow. But it is probably already out by the time you're listening to this. So if you
2: haven't watched it, go watch it and and then come back and listen because we're excited to be talking about this movie.
0: And uh, but no one is. (laughs) That sounded like uh, they had paid us to like make an ad. (laughs) I well I
2: I know, but that's why I'm
0: not. (laughs) I am not in the pocket of the A Star Is Born. (laughs) <laughs> Not at all. In fact,
2: far from it, as you'll hear in our ratings later on. But I think let's get into the meat of, of what we see with these characters. You know, this this is a movie about a relationship in a lot of ways. Um, similar to, you know, we just had our Valentine's Day special. We talked about Eternal Sunshine, of the Spotless Mind, with this this in a lot of ways dysfunctional relationship. And Mike, this yeah. is another dysfunctional relationship for for different reasons.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Dysfunctional in a completely different way. And it it kind of starts out off on the wrong foot. So this movie kind of opens up with uh, Jackson, Maine. And the first thing I wrote down, and it's the first thing you see, I wrote down, sweaty alcoholic.
2: <laughs>
0: A, you know what I mean? You see him in the back of the car, and yep. he's sweating and drunk. And you just know, I mean, that's like movie movie sign for this man's an alcoholic. Yep. And he meets Allie, played by Lady Gaga. He meets her at a drag bar because he just goes anywhere to drink. And I guess they sort of have an instant connection, kind of. I would but, say he
2: has an instant connection with her. She's understandably skeptical of him. Yeah.
0: She's a little more wary of like what he wants with her. Mm-hmm. But he he's definitely persistent. But yes. the thing is, is from the very, very get go. And, and, you know, we don't have to go step by step. Their relationship just... Grows and they end up getting married. But from the get go, she knows right off the bat that he has an issue with alcohol. But I mean, and she doesn't know background or anything about him, but she knows right away. And so immediately I'm wondering, and she doesn't have this big issue with alcohol. Like what makes a person immediately think that that's okay? Or I guess, I don't know if I want to put it that way
2: well no so so she and and i caught this um she talks about um jackson to her father and she says to her father she says he's a drunk you know all about drunks so the implication being either that her father is or was an alcoholic or his friends all are because they're his friends are like a motley crew of people yeah they were the best so yeah so so <laughs> ali's dad obviously has some experience with alcohol use at the very least we're not necessarily saying he's an alcoholic but you know we we know a little bit that's that's portrayed in the movie so Allie comes into this relationship with jackson being wary and actually she does a pretty good job immediately of trying to establish boundaries with him you know uh he tries to kind of whisk her away on his motorcycle and she kind of says i'm not getting on that thing with you if you're drinking." So she tries to establish from the get-go, like I'm not going to be in this relationship with you if this is how you're going to act. But as we're going to talk about, those boundaries, I mean, are are hard to maintain with someone who is struggling, as as Jackson is throughout this movie.
0: Especially if you care about them, yeah. And, And that brings me like thinking about like one of the big things with Jackson is he he starts this relationship with Allie. She's a a unfounded singer who clearly has, like, this great giant talent, and he sees this in her and immediately, like, brings her on tour with him. She kind of blows up. She has this big YouTube video of doing that song, Shallow, with him. It's kind of their big duet. And she goes on and gets signed to her own artist deal. But my point being about Jackson is... Just like we were saying when he first meets her, he attaches to her instantly. And as the relationship grows, you see him, like, really just cling to her. So much so that we get introduced to his older brother. His older brother is someone who is kind of explained he's been clinging to since he was 13 years old when his dad passed away. Mm-hmm. Who's basically been supporting him or carrying him as he describes. Right. And now that he has Allie, he, you know, he drops him like a bad habit. Well, he literally drops him with a punch. Yes. Well,
2: when when he finds out, or I guess rediscovers that Billy sold the farm where they grew up.
0: Right. And so what I'm wondering, and from what I'm seeing is, and this this really struck a chord with me because what I saw was. Jackson was incapable of being on his own without somebody taking care of him. So he had to have his brother there his whole life, like literally managing him, you know, while he drank his life away, sort of being irresponsible and needed somebody there to manage his life. And then as soon as he meets Allie now, I'm not going to call it a burden, but he moves over and clings to her. And now she's the one in charge of of his well-being.
2: Yeah, she's she is the sort of rock that he rests his positive emotions on. And and this is referenced throughout that sort of early relationship phase where, you know, as soon as Ali's in the picture, everyone kind of tells her like, oh, we see the real Jackson come back when ever since you started coming around on stage. He looks happy again. He looks yeah. like he's having fun again. And it's like that to me as a warning sign, it's like, well, wait, obviously we can be very happy for them as a couple, as a relationship, but if his happiness or his quote unquote being himself is dependent upon Ali or him being in a relationship, then that is not a good way to start a relationship.
0: Well, I guess what I was wondering is what is there to be said Okay, so we have to think about Jackson's past. The movie goes on, and it does eventually get revealed for Jackson that he had a pretty traumatic childhood. He lost his mother in childbirth, and then his father died when he was 13 years old. We do find out that his father was an alcoholic, and he tried to commit suicide by hanging himself with a belt when he was 13 years old. I'm wondering— Hold on,
2: Mike. Just pause real quick. Was was that—was it— Jackson's dad that attempted suicide with the belt, or was it Jackson talking about his oh, own attempt?
0: I was talking about Jackson.
2: Jackson talking about himself. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Go on.
0: So what I'm wondering is, so he and he gets raised by his brother, and like I was saying, he clings to his brother, then he switches to Allie. What is going on there with his need to have someone there to take care of him and also his unwillingness to... I guess, push on or pick himself up.
2: Yeah. So essentially, and I, I sort of hinted at it, uh, but essentially what we're dealing with is a a person in Jackson who is codependent. He's dependent on people in his life and those people have changed, but he's dependent upon those people for him to sort of uh, meet his emotional and self-esteem needs. Um, that without those people in his life, whether it be Ali or his stepbrother, Billy, that Basically, he wouldn't be able to function, or at least that's the sort of sense that we get. You know, his brother, you know, uh, takes care of him during all his alcohol binges. He gets him into bed. He cleans him up, all these sorts of things. Um, Helps, obviously, manage his tour, and probably even more than that, you know, helps him manage his sort of hearing problem that we don't get a, a full picture of, but he's got this, yeah. like, ringing in his ears thing.
0: Yeah, I think that was a, a way they were showing yeah. that the family was taking care of him because he was unconcerned with his own health.
2: Yeah. Taking care of him more than he was taking care of himself. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jackson is this person who probably as a result of his traumatic childhood came to rely upon the presence of others for him to feel secure and for him to feel good about himself and, and for him to even be able to experience positive emotion because You know, it's sort of portrayed in his early, you know, music days before Ali comes into the picture that he's this, presumably this famous, at least to a certain extent, this famous musician. But we don't really see him happy. We don't see him enjoying, you know, the sort of adoration of his fans. It's just like, you know, I'm doing this. And then as soon as I get in the limo, I'm starting to drink Jack and I'm looking for the closest bar to drink more.
0: And Yeah, I mean, for all we know, he never enjoyed it. Exactly. So what does this look like? and what i'm wondering with all this so we're seeing this like through the eyes of this you know giant famous musician who may or not may or may not be happy with his own life but what does this look like in your office in real life is this like a failure to launch situation is this is this somebody living with their sibling So, yeah, it's a good question. What do you see in a real life situation? mm Because, you know, not everyone is a famous rock star.
2: No, of course. So if we're sort of talking about codependency and this just to take a step back, you know, codependency, as it's understood now, has definitely evolved since this sort of term started being used to describe relationships. It was initially created to sort of um, talk specifically about spouses of alcoholics or or what they referred to as co-alcoholics. And over time, it was sort of identified that that these symptoms that the alcoholics essentially being codependent upon their spouses and vice versa, and in a lot of cases, um, is is present even in relationships where addiction is not um, part of the dynamic. So, what we have here is this sort of, and there there are a list of sort of uh, I guess you would say symptoms or factors that we would look for that would give us an indication that uh codependency might be present within a relationship or a codependent relationship. Things like low self-esteem. So you asked me, you know, what this would present like in my office. Um, right. And,
0: and Ryan, if I can clarify. Yeah, go ahead. And I, I just want to make this like crystal clear what I'm what I'm thinking is I was I'm thinking like general mental health issues and disorders because you know I grew up and When I became in my 20s, you know, my sister took care of me. Especially through, like, all my breakdowns. Like, I I live with my sister in my basement. She picked me up. She's the one that fixed me, you know? So, like, when I saw Jackson, I I can't tell you, especially because of the musician stuff, like, how much, like, oh, my gosh, once again, I relate here, you know? Yeah. But, But then even so, I met my wife. And a lot of time, you know, and I live, I live with my wife, and and she's my rock, and I've said that before, yeah. And but my sister and my wife will tell you that if I hadn't met Brianna, where would I be? And my wife would say probably in my sister's basement. Mm. So I, I guess that's the lens that I'm looking at it, and I'm wondering <laughs> if. People with mental health issues that that cling to their family, and even to a relationship like this in a codependent way, it, it, what that looks like is it? I mean, does it look just like what I was going through, or? Well, it certainly can. You know, I think
2: when the, the when we're talking about this sort of spectrum of mental health issues, right, depression, anxiety, PTSD, you know, how those issues are responded to by people's significant others, friends, family members, can absolutely create this sort of dynamic that could lead to codependent relationships. Because really, in a lot of ways, we're just talking about boundaries, right? I mentioned before yeah. how Ali, you know, tries to establish clear boundaries with Jackson in the start of their relationship. Um, but Jackson, in, in a lot of ways, does not uh, respect those boundaries, you know, either he says he's not going to drink, but then he does, or he drinks, but he lies about it, or All then right. he he goes on a bender and and really drinks and really screws up. Um,
0: but Allie is always there for him.
2: So yes and no. Um, you know, there's there's the point where she really reaches her breaking point after the Grammys when he obviously you know wets himself on stage, and that that sort of is a breaking point for her. And she says some some not so nice things and he says some not so nice things. And that's also what we're talking about is this sort of ineffective communication. So even when someone a- attempts to establish healthy boundaries, if those boundaries are not consistent, and I guess I would argue and I hate to do this, but but Ali communicates her boundaries, but. We don't ever really see her hold Jackson accountable. It's basically like, are you drinking again? And, he's, and if he, yeah. he sort of acknowledges it. And then it's just like, you know, and she just kind of throws her hands up and, and continues on. Right. So there, there's She's very, like, there,
0: that's Jackson.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, you know, she again, even, I, she
0: even says somebody, somebody says something about him. And she even says he does this all the time as like a. Like a matter of fact, like no big deal. He does this all the time.
2: Exactly. So, you know, I hate throwing the term enabling around because I I don't ever want to feel like I'm blaming a a partner or a family member. Um, Mm -hmm. And enablers are never to blame, but they are always sort of part of the picture. Right. Right. So if you have a problem with the fact that he drinks privately on your own, but then in public or to other people, you sort of deny it or you minimize it. You know, that's sort of what enabling looks like. It's like, oh, that's just Jackson, you know, stumbling around again. Well, on the inside, the way you really feel about it is you're probably pissed or you're or you're or you're upset or you're devastated, or you're sad. And that's the sort of core emotional thing with Ali that we don't really see until Jackson screws up at the Grammys. And then that's like a breaking point where he has to go to um, rehab, essentially. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's when he ends up in rehab.
2: Yeah. So you so initially you asked me what it looks like in in a, a therapy session, and these are the things that would present themselves. It's like, let's say I had Allie in therapy. I would have Allie in therapy, but the most of her communication would be about her husband. Huh. And it's like that's the sign of like, okay, it wouldn't be about Allie. Exactly. It would be, you know, Jackson's driving me crazy. He I think I'm pretty sure he's still drinking again. He he got drunk and called me ugly, you know, stuff like this that would happen. That's like she would be angry in session. But are you really expressing that anger to him? So it's it's, this is stuff that we start to notice with codependent relationships where true feelings are not being expressed. It's just sort of maintaining, in some cases, enabling the problematic behaviors.
0: Let's say a situation that doesn't reach these drastic public embarrassments that Send someone saying, OK, we have to change, even though from my perspective, she never got there like he went to rehab because it was a public embarrassment. Sure. And, and if that had happened in private, she would have said, oh, that's Jackson again. That's my perspective. On sure. that. But in a, in a more normal way where things happen much more mild sometimes, I, gu- I guess I should say. As a family member. Let's just take it into my situation. Just to give people perspective, when I was at my sister's and going through really hard times and sometimes unable to work and in deep depressions, in and out, that kind of a thing, manicure, depression there, at what point does my sister say, I can't do anything for you? You have to do this yourself. Like you have to go get an apartment. You can't live with me. That kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with, with family, it's so tough. And we're talking about caretaking essentially in some ways. Right. And, right, you know, and I've worked with caretakers as you can imagine, because it is, um, a difficult position to be in, whether it's, um, a caretaking for someone who is going through old age, uh, related issues or mental health issues or physical issues, being the caretaker for that person is, is a very emotionally draining and, and complex situation, so I, I never tell a caretaker, you know, you have to stop caretaking for this person. Like you have to, you know, turn these responsibilities over to somebody else because realistically family is family for people. If they want to make that commitment to their loved one, that I'm going to be there for them, even at the sort of my own uh, detriment, then I, as a therapist, absolutely respect that decision. So then it comes, you know, if I'm working, you know, with a family member, it's like, okay. If, if you want to support this person, that's fine. How do you have really clear boundaries on what you're willing to support and what you're not? And if those boundaries are broken, and this is the important point that we don't see with Allie, really. is like, if those boundaries are broken, what does that mean? Does yeah. that mean that your sister kicks you out? Does that mean that... um you know, that uh, you have to start contributing financially. Let's just make up something. Does that, you know, and, and they can create those consequences to be whatever you need them to be to in a way to hold you or whoever accountable. But to have those boundaries be really explicitly defined so that both the caretaker can feel comfortable in they sort of um, even control to a certain extent that they've uh, established within the relationship and the person being cared for can have really clear um, expectations of themselves. Like, okay, I obviously really appreciate this help that's being given to me, but it's also not this like carte blanche free pass that I can just kind of get away with forever.
0: Yeah, and I think Jackson needed that a lot earlier yeah. in his life. I agree. I kind of wanted to spend a couple of minutes because I had some questions and this is going to throw this off track here, but about creative people and obviously, like, Jackson's a very creative person. And for most of the movie, you don't really get a glimpse into his background until towards the end, which is one of my big problems. They don't really give you a sign. Like, he, he's an alcoholic, obviously, but that's yep. really all they show you. Mm-hmm. They, but they don't, they don't really give you the deep, dark past until 20 minutes left. Yep. But you do find that out. And once you find that out, you can look back retrospectively, and, and I can kind of also relate to this as a former musician or, or performer or creative person in general. Sure. And, and that is, and we can go back to the very beginning of the movie when he meets Allie in the drag bar. He is sunken looking, like I said, he's a sweaty alcoholic. He is, I mean, he looks, you know, like he's dead inside. He just, mm-hmm. there's nothing left in him. He meets her and then she goes back to change and they ask him to sing a song on stage and he picks up his guitar and they show this happened to him several times throughout the movie. Once he starts playing, all of it goes away. Whatever pain he's held on to since he was 13, it just disappears. So my questions surrounding this were, he obviously has something going on, you know, whether it's PTSD or whatever, we're not going to, we don't have enough information, I don't think, but do we see a lot of struggles like at a higher rate in creative people? Like that's, that was one of my big questions. So, yeah, it's a good question.
2: And, um, you know, I don't, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but the sort of theme that I I picked up on, I do think is very true for pe- for creative people, which is just this. So I would say and and correct me if I'm wrong. You being a creative person, that you know they have the sort of desire to create something for public consumption. They want to do something that other people are going to see or hear or read or listen to. And they want to be recognized. They, you're right. They want to be heard. Really, I think if if we break it down, they want to be seen in some way. And, and sometimes that's because of their experiences in the past. Sometimes it's not. Right, but. This desire, this desire to be seen kind of in some ways sets them up. And and that's why I do think this is prevalent in people with creative interest. It's you get set up for this desire to maybe create what is um, on the inside, on internal, what is like special for you or, or, or interesting for you. You have this desire, right? And then you have the once you sort of take that step outside of yourself, then it's the expectations from the outside from society that all of a sudden becomes either you're, you're personally aware or anxious about it as we see with someone like ally who talks a lot about her physical appearance um, yeah. being something that she's self-conscious about but then you know it's also this this thing that also comes up with ally where you know she starts out being this like really country soulful um personal singer To this person that, you know, the expectations of essentially her manager and the recording industry, I guess, want to turn her into something else. Into this sort of like carbon copy pop performer where she's not really talking about anything personal anymore. She's just sort of talking about uh, boys in jeans and things. Not that that can be personal, but it's like obviously it's very, it's a far way to go from shallow, right?
0: Which sends Jackson into like a binge
2: yeah. And, and and we can recognize that, that that part of that is because what made him feel so good was being a part of Ali's genuine creative process. So when that was taken away from him by the manager and then even further taken away by the manager later on, and obviously Jackson goes on to commit suicide, which we'll talk about. It's, it's this thing that Jackson felt good about himself for being a part of now not existing anymore. And for a creative person who has the creative outlet that they love, which obviously Jackson did in being a part of Ali's musical career, to that be taken away it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a loss. it's an actual loss that mm. he has a hard time grieving. Um, and I think this is true for all creatives that if you are able to establish something that you are happy with, you're proud of that feels, you know, really personal to you, and then you feel like you have to change because of feedback or because of a uh, relationship or, or because of expectations or age, you know, it, it's hard to adjust to that. Yeah. I mean, you, you talked up front about, you know, that the loss that you experience over not really performing music anymore. I think that's a real thing.
0: Oh, it is uh, because it's an identity. Yeah, for sure. It's like, I mean, your identity gets wrapped up around, this is who you are. Like, I am a bass player. Mm -hmm. I gig around, you know? Yep. It's the lifestyle you live. And then you get to a point where it's obvious that it's just not viable to keep gigging around anymore. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always said... I have to stop until I'm 50 and then I can start playing blues again, you know? Mm, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I have to take a break for 20 years. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, it is a, it's a big loss. Yeah. I never thought, you know, yeah, it's weird.
2: No, cause I, I've, I've gone through phases of it myself. I mean, I've talked about being a writer and like, I like to see myself that way, but, but there have been long periods of time where I have not written at all. And that's always in the back of my mind. Like, I mean, I'm not really a writer. If I'm not writing, I'm I'm not a writer, right? And it's like you're, that.
0: You, Brian, you are a beautiful writer.
2: Oh, but 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 it's this thing that we're talking about, right? If you're not doing it at present, does it really feel like you can call yourself that thing? So I think this is the struggle of, of, you, of you. You write.
0: You write the ending to every episode. <laughs>
2: yes, thank you. <laughs> That's true. Um, a different, slightly different kind of writing. But yeah, I mean, so so yes. So thank you. But I think what I'm what I'm expressing, and I think you're expressing as well, is that we want to see ourselves a certain way. We want to be seen a certain way. And when we either through our own decisions or through the actions of others, when we no longer feel like we can be seen that way, that can be really devastating. Yeah. And it's devastating for Jackson. And it happens in some ways for Allie. She has these crises when she no longer feels like herself. She has to change her hair color and her dancing and her her dress that she's not really her anymore. And that that's a crisis. Even yeah, when she's successful, even when she's it, famous, it's like that's still something that she's
0: upset about. So much so that when I was watching it, she she just goes with it. But it's almost like she's just like a robot doing it. Yeah like she's doing it because of those passions that drive you there yeah the soul behind it is gone um but i think i think the we kind of have to talk about the ending yes so like we were saying Jackson had a pretty rough past and rough to say the least and, but we don't really find a lot about that till the last 20 minutes when he goes into rehab, uh, he sits on the bench with, I think, the the therapist there and admits that he tried to commit suicide when he's 13 years old, um, that his dad was an alcoholic. Uh, he tells his older stepbrother that it was actually him that he idolized his whole life, which was a a, I was crying scene. Mm-hmm. Ugh, beautiful scene. It, what ends up happening is Allie's going to go on this big tour. Her manager comes in. And this is after he's, he's just messed up so much. But the manager comes in and says, you are screwing her career. You have to stay away from her. He's trying to say, leave her or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I took this a different way than you took it, Ryan. But essentially, well, not even essentially, what happens and what he decides is the only way. And why I was like, he's, he's so codependent that he can't see another way out. He's like, "If I don't have her, I can't make it, And I have to make the this decision for her, and he and he ends his life, yeah, I guess I my only question to you is, what did you think? so i mean
2: it it's a it's a obviously very hard scene to watch because we kind of see it happening in slow motion. You know, as a therapist, I, I, am you know, I'm seeing signs that, oh, you know, bad decisions are are happening. This, where is this going? Where is this going? Oh no, this is where it's headed. But I think that the thing that I struggled with is, and maybe this is a statement really about how low Jackson was. But so he had that conversation that you referenced with, is it Rez or Raz? Uh, yeah, 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 uh, one of the two. <laughs> yeah. So he has a conversation with Ali's manager, record executive person and he says all these terrible things to him you know he he happens to not be drinking an alcoholic beverage at the in the moment during the conversation but the guy kind of says to him like you know what you want to be drinking right now and all this sort of implication of this this clean time this positive period in your life or in your relationship right now is not going to last and it's depicted as as this really devastating interaction for Jackson And I think for me, I think the thing I I guess I was surprised by is that, you know, earlier in the movie, Jackson was always kind of skeptical of this record executive, like... I think you
0: can just say it, like how you reacted here, because I think it's legitimate.
2: I mean, I kind of didn't buy it. I didn't buy that that conversation would lead to that action. Now, that's not to say, I mean, I, I know that that suicide obviously is an impulsive act, I would say, most of the time, especially with men. So... For Jackson to make this decision, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's, it seems inconsistent with the character, I guess, is the way it felt for me.
0: Right. Or even that, I thought you meant that Raz would even go do this. Like, we're setting you up to make everyone cry because it's a movie situation. Right. That all of a sudden this guy
2: who, you know, we he was kind of a smarmy record exec guy, but he was never presented as somebody that would be so cold and and really and vindictive um so it's you know it's that classic turn of like oh you know this guy who we thought was just sort of pushing alley to be a a, a a pop star now is like sort of pushing someone to break up with her pushing her husband to break up with her or leave her essentially it's like wow that's that seems a bit far as far as character <laughs> shifts go
0: <laughs> yeah And just real quick, I, for me, what I saw there was, I saw that as kind of what your subconscious tells you. And I I know they portrayed it like it's a person talking to him, but it's kind of the stuff you say to yourself when you're at your low.
2: Yeah. And that's, and right. So if it's a sort of a metaphor, like that's absolutely true. Like, you know, people who are in early recovery absolutely tell themselves, that's not really what I want to be drinking or... I'm a mess. I'm just going to screw this up. Like those are absolutely negative self-thoughts that someone like Jackson might be having. But I guess if that's the case, I would rather uh, see something like that, whether that be in therapy or in group therapy or in interactions with Allie, like for it to be triggered from this conversation with a record exec just doesn't feel, I guess, realistic to me. Um, I don't disagree. Okay, so I guess that's that's a problem that I had with the movie is that it sort of felt like a a big jump for us to get to the as you said like the cry moment right,
0: and I can say uh, to its credit that I was really happy that they skipped a lot, they they showed that it happened but they skipped any sort of graphic detail and then oh, they, the suicide itself yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. then they skipped any of the aftermath
2: they skipped like. Allie finding yes. Jackson. Yeah.
0: Agreed. So but then they they end on the the beautiful
2: I Will Never Love Again. Yeah. Right. That one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it was and uh Allie
2: performs, I guess essentially at his like memorial service, I guess that was. Yeah. So Yeah. So I mean it's 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 there it is. And I guess so that's a good example. Like so they then they do like the flashback of, of Jackson singing and writing that song for her. And it's like this is a healthy, happy well, maybe not healthy, but this is a happy relationship. Like the idea that he's going to go from that sharing the song with her to this one random conversation with her record exec. And it's like, that's it now. My life is over. I just didn't buy it. So I don't know. That's not to say it wasn't a, a great movie. Obviously, it's nominated for best picture. But um, I just had some issues with the sort of character consistency that didn't necessarily yeah. feel. There's
0: definitely a lot of real stuff in this movie. And oh, I, absolutely. I, I do applaud like Lady Gaga for her speech. And for them, like, portraying anything like this at all out there. And I do agree with a lot of the things she said. But that being said, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back.
2: You are listening to Pop Psych 101, a show discussing mental health and pop culture through two perspectives, a therapist and an advocate. We explore the accuracies of how mental illness is portrayed in movies, books, and television, for better or worse. All right, Mike. So I've been teasing this on our show for a long time, but I think this this movie makes it the right time to do this, which is that we are going to overanalyze or I guess I am going to overanalyze it. Then you're going to we're going to talk about it, but I'm going to overanalyze a song. Um, Oh, it's, it's time. It's time.
0: Hey, so, wow. Uh, people in the chat group have been asking us to do music for like two months.
2: And I've been wanting to do it. And what what better time than for us to to cover a song that has obviously just won a Grammy, but also from a movie that's almost essentially a musical and is nominated for Best Picture. So I totally agree. So, so with that, we are about to overanalyze Shallow by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper.
1: Searching for I for live in all the good times I find myself along here for change and in the bad times I fear myself.
2: Wow, Mike. Well, I, obviously, everyone knows this, but can I of just say oh, that that's an incredible song.
0: Oh, my God. It's beautiful. Yeah. So I love it.
2: So it's, it's beautiful. And I hope my overanalyzing doesn't take away from its beauty. Real quick. Yeah, go ahead.
0: It's not fair. Either of them, not fair acting and singing both of them. That's just makes me angry and good looking that they have both of those talents. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm moving on.
2: Okay. All right. Well, we'll let that we'll let that rest. Okay. So obviously we just listened to the, to the song. So Mike, uh, before I get into my thing, when you hear "Shallow" and you hear this referenced, like we're in the shallow now, all this kind of stuff, what are you picturing?
0: Well, I was trying to think pretty hard about it, but yeah. I was thinking we're in the shallow now. Um, I was thinking that they were in the shallow water.
2: Okay, so are, what what kind of body of water are you picturing?
0: Well, I was thinking the shallow of the ocean. Okay, great. I'm so glad that we're on the same page. That's what I saw, like the the waves coming in. Yes.
2: So, but but obviously, I have a lot, a lot of different layers and levels to this. uh Oh. So they actually say we're we're far from the shallow. So right. So that's the post okay. the that we're far from the shallow now, meaning. So the shallow end, right, of the ocean is where it's pretty easy to stand, right? You know, no, no dangers of animal attacks or, or riptides or... Yeah, because it
0: can't be a pool
2: because that would be lame. It would be lame. Agreed. Agreed. Um, <laughs> but also, so in therapy, obviously, I've talked about this before. We do a lot of metaphor and I've often talked about emotional experiences as literal waves, literal waves of emotion, right? So when people are experiencing um, intense emotions, positive, negative, or or indifferent, so uh, I don't know if you've ever, uh, I know you're from the Midwest, I don't know if you've ever surfed or bodyboarded or boogie boarded, I don't know if you've ever embarked on any of those activities. I don't like being wet in general, so no. Oh man, well, I, being a Jersey Shore boy, essentially now at this point, have partaked in surfing and bodyboarding and things of that nature body surfing so if you go out a little bit into the waves and if the waves are particularly big what they teach you to essentially to get be able to get further out is that you know you don't do the thing that tourists do which is try to like kind of jump into or over the wave because you're more likely to kind of get smacked by it but you either go under which is, if we use this metaphor, you're going deeper into the ocean or deeper into the emotion, right? Or you ride it. So if you're a surfer or a bodyboarder, you use the power of the wave to have a positive experience. Huh. But when, but when we try to resist the emotion, and now going back to these characters between Jackson and Allie, I would say Jackson is the the more of the resistor of their emotions. Like they de- he doesn't really experience them. He just kind of stuffs them or at, as Allie talks about in the song, she try, he's trying to fill that void, right? So the void is a, is a very common metaphor in addiction where it's like this hole in ourselves that we're trying to fill with drugs or alcohol to feel help ourselves feel better. That's another reason that this song is so good is there's so many layers to it. So if we picture both... Jackson and Allie in the ocean together sort of going out through their emotions they they both identify themselves as falling right and i think when i hear them i see them sort of saying it in different ways like Allie is falling but falling in love oh bradley bradley is falling but like falling apart oh and without her he's just going to keep falling what about the and they
0: both okay keep going sorry Good. No, go ahead. Oh, no, no, what go about ahead. the? They're both longing for change.
2: So yes, um, I totally, and, and this is this is true for both of them as well. That even in good times, that they're both experiencing, they both want something different or something more. Allie still wants to change her appearance, even when she's at her super famous. She doesn't like really like the way she looks. For Jackson, you know, we know that he is is really longing for acceptance and longing for um for love and that even when things are good with Ali there's still this again this void that he's trying to fill that's still not totally healed from his original wounds of his childhood.
0: What about you said we're far from the sha- shallow like when I read that and then we agreed where the shallow was without talking about yep. that previously mm-hmm. I thought far from the shallow meant that they were on the ground
2: Ah, like, so okay, on so the beach, so that's certainly one way of looking at it. My overanalyzing is like, oh, we're in deep together. Like we're deep in this together now. Oh yeah, um, and they even say
0: I'm I'm off the deep end. That's
2: right. Yeah. So that's that's why I go that they're into the deep end of the ocean, as it were, or the EM Ocean, <laughs> um, <laughs> and. And oh my god! That, that they're far from the shallow, meaning that like they're no longer in their like safe solo lives where they were just kind of getting by. But they're really dealing with serious stuff. And that's that's why they're far from the shallow now.
0: And, and you, you question my goofy intros, Ryan. Uh, I mean, listen,
2: I'm, I'm not going to uh, hide the fact that I like a good pun or a good joke <laughs> here and there. I'm an improviser. It's going to come naturally sometimes.
0: OK, OK. Yeah. (laughs) I have an overanalyzing of my own here. Please. All right. In the movie, she sings this song to him after they go to the grocery store when she punches the guy in the face at the bar, and then they go and they, yeah, she they fix her hand. Right. She sings the first verse and the chorus, kind of. Yes. She doesn't really get the full tune out. It's out there. The next night, she goes to the concert. He says... I worked up a little arrangement. Oh, wait, <clears throat> I worked up a little arrangement. Can you can you come up? You gotta come up and sing this. I'm gonna sing it with or without you. And then, lo and behold, the most beautiful thing comes out, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting back here as a musician, going, pff, pff, "Impossible! This is ridiculous!" Like, so my overanalyzing is that was ridiculous. Like that is the most Hollywood way. I've seen that so many times in Hollywood movies like that doesn't happen. So you're right.
2: It doesn't happen. This is the one part of the movie, this song in particular, that I wanted to believe was possible because Lady Gaga, and to her credit, like does create this really simple verse. She does. That that, that is can easily that, yeah. exactly right. That is, especially for a seasoned musician like Jackson, he can take it and and just flip it. So, he yeah, can three take, chords. Yeah. Very easy. And that's why I think this is such a, a beautiful song. Is that it's so simply encapsulates both the uh, codependency that's happening and the sort of questions about Ali being happy in this modern world. And and she's not. We know she's not. So I just love it. It's so flippin' good. It's um, amazing. So so whether whether that's realistic or not, I'm I'm accepting that that one is realistic because I want to believe it is. <laughs>
0: Okay. Speaking of realistic, it is time. We got to do our ratings so we can get out of here for the day. And if you haven't listened to the show before every week, Ryan and I rate on a scale of one to five. Ryan rates on a scale of one to five somethings on accuracy of the portrayal of whatever it is we are covering. And I rate on the scale of one to five stars on the awesomeness of how much I liked something. Ryan, what are your somethings?
2: So, Mike, for A Star is Born, I did it, which was just one of the cute things I liked from the movie, even though, again, we, how believable it was, I don't know. But out of five uh, guitar string engagement rings, because I just loved that little scene, uh, even though part of me was like, too. was like, really, Allie, you're going to agree to marry this guy that was just found drunk in his friend's front yard? But not, no, 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 not no. Notwithstanding.
0: Totally agreed. No, no, no. I thought it was realistic. And even Brianna, we watched it together. She looked, she said, creative people, ugh, you guys are so impulsive. And she's like, that's why it's so hard to be married to you. So I was like, yeah, I would do something like that.
2: (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Um, And I think the guitar, I like the guitar string uh, uh, wedding band, just because like, yeah, it's like a nice personal thing. But anyway, um, so out of five guitar string wedding bands, in terms of you know the topic that we talked about today that being codependency this is pretty accurate you know the only real thing that i had problems with like i said were the sort of really rapid development of suicide now we we had the memory that he has attempted suicide before so especially for for men but for people in general once there is a history of suicide attempts like the likelihood that that is an impulsive act is is definitely higher, so from that sense, it could be an accurate portrayal. But in terms of how codependency happens, um, I gave us a four out of five. Yeah, you know, I had some problems with some other things I talked about in the episode, but it's a really good example of what can happen in a codependent relationship where right. someone can become so reliant on someone else for their positive emotional experience.
0: Quick question: Is can th- can that can codependency like codependent relationship can that be good good as well?
2: Uh, I'm having a hard time thinking of a situation in which it would be good to be codependent.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) We don't want to go down another rabbit hole. No, we're not. Right.
2: right. Because, and just to, to, to cap that off, it's like a healthy boundaries with someone means I can feel good about myself, whether you feel good about me or whether you make me feel good or not.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, and I got to do this on the scale of one to five on the scale of a stars on the scale of awesomeness and we got another five here, people. This movie was awesome. It was so good. I cried and cried. I cried at the brother scene when he told him that he was the one. Yeah. And then, and then I of course I cried at the end when she sang the big song, and uh, they switched back to them writing it together. So yeah, um, I yeah. Thought you're, a-
2: you're just a big softie, Mike.
0: I know I'm always crying at all these movies we watch we need all these movies we watch are uh, yeah so we need to watch
2: like a a hardcore action movie next
0: do we have yes I would love to do an action movie that'd be amazing
2: we'll think about that
0: okay so guys we do have to get out of here for the day Uh, first off thank you so much for listening we appreciate everyone and everyone in the chat group we really appreciate all of you Uh, but we also have to give thanks to Kevin McLeod for all the music that we use on the show. You can find him at incompetech.com for royalty free music. If you need to use music, you can find him there. And Ryan, thank you as always for talking with me every week. Thank you, Mike. Thank
2: you listeners. Okay, so A Star is Born is a highly acclaimed awarded movie with a lot of star power, but what should we take away from it from a mental health perspective? Well, first of all, it is important to recognize that codependent relationships can happen to anyone, even if they are more prevalent with people who suffer from addiction issues. There are some questions you can ask yourself, though, to notice possible warning signs, such as... Do you have trouble asking for help? If nobody is around, do you feel inadequate? Do you feel mean saying no? Do you, like Allie, often find yourself in the savior role? Do you ask for what you want with actions rather than words? If you think you or your partner would answer yes to most of these questions, you might be at risk for codependency, and starting a conversation around how you support one another in the relationship may be beneficial. As I mentioned in the episode, clear boundaries and accountability is important if a relationship is going to be healthy and balanced. No one person should be responsible for another person's happiness, even if it leads to the sweetest of music. Relationships like Jackson and Allie's absolutely benefit from couples counseling because both partners can identify their needs and frustrations in a judgment-free environment. Building healthy communication skills and mutual support is a very realistic goal that any couple can benefit from if they're willing to give it a try. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you as always to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and YouTube at poppsych101. We are specifically on YouTube for our fans who may be hard of hearing. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. Poppsych 101 is not only a podcast but also a radio show. You can find us on the real-life radio station on Dash Radio. If Dash Radio is not installed on your vehicle, you can download their app on Android or iOS. For the podcast, we are on all major distribution channels, so please rate, review, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.